0: Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show Broadcasting from the SR Trident studio SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Belotto Is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas and energy industry From a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials and more Right here on In the Oil Patch radio show
1: Welcome to In the Old Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato. Today we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined a little bit later on in the show by Robert McNally, who is the president of Rapidan Energy Group. Let me tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Our feature is Nick Dulles, who is the president of CNX Resources. We recently had an opportunity to interview him on our radio show. Very interesting company to consider that we have not had a new built refinery in the United States uh, if for quite some time. So very interesting story. I encourage you to learn more about Nick and his company, CNX Resources. Go to shellmag.com and click on the magazine cover to read all about him and many, many, many more articles on oil, gas, and business. I'd also like to encourage you, if you want to stay up with the latest issue of Shell Magazine and or the latest show of In the Oil Patch Radio Show, please visit us on our social media pages, like our page, and you'll stay up to date on all of the latest issues as well as all of the latest shows. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful
2: day in the oil patch.
1: It is, and it's certainly hot. Uh, We're definitely into summertime. uh, Well, we are. (laughs) Well, and there's a lot of things that are getting uh, pretty heated, um, especially in the energy sector with uh, gas prices. Let's talk about our favorite topic, which, of course, is that both uh, the international Brent price and the price for West Texas Intermediate rose well over $120 this week. And that's a high. So where do you speculate that we're going to end up uh, or where are we heading from here? (laughs)
2: Well, we're, we're heading into uncharted territory, I'm afraid. Um, you know, it, it's not just me. Uh, pretty much every major analyst now is is predicting oil prices by the end of summer to be up in the 140 to $150 range. Uh, you and I have been talking about that for a couple of months now. And, and you know, there's just no market factors uh, to slow it down right now, particularly with China. Lifting some of their COVID restrictions, I know they put some back on in Shanghai uh, later this week, but uh, but really they're they're loosening up all over the country now, and so demand is going to continue rising, and there's nothing to really stop that. There's no viable alternative, despite all the rhetoric from the Biden administration and uh, the governments of Europe, and and so it's it's just going to keep going up because the other reason is that other than the United States, where Biden is doing everything to inhibit our industry's growth, the only two other oil-producing nations with really substantial uh, available capacity that's not currently on the market are Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, and, you know, their additional capacity is really pretty limited. And, And so there's just the market's undersupplied and There's nothing to to fill the gap, unfortunately.
1: Well, and maybe, um, you know, to put this in a term where our listeners can understand is so when crude prices go high, so we're at 120, and they're going to go higher, which is an all time high, it also results in higher crude prices. And so we're now seeing the world's uh, gasoline prices well over five dollars a gallon. And I know in some states you had talked about, like California, it's even higher. Oh yeah. Uh, is there any uh, thing we can look to? Like, how fast are we going to increase? If you're talking about us going from 120 to 140, the acceleration we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. What kind of prices are we looking at then? And is there any relief ahead of us
2: for? Yeah. Our- well, you know, I mean, over the last couple of weeks they they've gone up almost a nickel a day and uh 25 to 30 cents each week and I don't really see any factor that's going to slow that down. Um so I'm afraid by the end of June we could be uh near $6 on the national average, maybe 570 something like that. Um and and really um you know, we're probably going to be over $6 a gallon sometime in July uh, on, on a national average. There's one gas station in California, I saw a video of them actually adding another digit to their sign to accommodate $10 gas prices and higher.
0: And wow. that's not
2: an irrational thing for them to be doing in California. I don't think we'll get that high. Um, so it's just uh demand will start slackening off uh once summer's over and we will have a little relief i think uh, in demand for gasoline and diesel and maybe prices will come down a little bit but you know it's not gonna it's it's an ugly picture from here on out for several years really
1: let's talk about the biden administration as well um they you know, despite the gas prices going higher, they they're, they almost seem like they're continuing to double down on wind and solar. As, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sorry,
2: I have to laugh every time I hear this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, we've seen it when we had a snow gate here that they didn't perform as they should have. Now, I'm not against them. I'm just thinking we should have all of them, but we shouldn't Uh, as you've said before, pick winners and losers, the government shouldn't be involved in that. How likely is this a scenario that the government's going to continue to put more money in solar and wind versus, you know, maybe tearing up the executive order, canceling the Keystone Pipeline and and permits through? Which one makes more sense in your mind to get control of these energy prices here, uh, at least here at home?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I would love to see him rescind that stupid executive order. It was really about the dumbest thing any president's ever done, including Jimmy Carter, where energy is concerned. Wind and solar are fine, as as we've talked about many times. There's nothing wrong with them as energy sources. We just have to properly manage them and recognize their intermittent sources. And even with battery backup, that battery backup is very temporary and short-lived. Uh, but you know this administration as long as uh, Joe Biden's president they're going to continue spending hundreds of billions of, of our dollars uh, on subsidizing these things and uh, get very little result from them uh, unfortunately we're you know you mentioned the big freeze last year Um, you know, we're on the same path here in Texas really um, I don't understand it I, I, I continue to be baffled by Governor Abbotts and and other Republican uh, policymakers here in Texas, down the same path to energy instability on our grid. California's tried and failed with for all these years. Um, but there's a religion. It's it's a religious exercise, uh, and it's uh, the dogma says that we can just replace oil and gas with wind and solar and. You know, I guess until we just have a complete economic calamity and collapse is it's going to take some kind of major global disaster like that to to at least temporarily stop this madness. Um, I don't really see them doing it of their own
1: volition. What do you think happens in November? Should the Republicans take the House back? How effective do you see um, their party being in trying to uh, stop? I mean, I know they can't change it because Biden is still in office, but will there be any relief for the oil and gas industry if uh, the Republicans take back the House and the Senate?
2: Probably not, uh, because, uh, you know, Republicans can pass bills, but... uh... President has to sign them for them to go into law. And anything that is positive for the oil and gas industry, this president will veto. And and you know, should he leave office because he's so old, his replacement Kamala Harris will also veto any such bills. And so there's really not any relief for this industry uh, until at least 2025, when a new president will take office. Um, and, and only if that new president is a Republican. Um, so, you, you, know, I mean, Congress, it's good to have control of Congress. It will stop madness. Like, you know, the current effort to revive the, the build back better bill. Oh my God, they want to go spend another two or $3 trillion in, in despite all this out of control inflation we're experiencing. Uh, so that madness will end with a Republican Congress, but, Otherwise, you can hold hearings and, um, you know, uh, but, there, but if you can't get a president to sign your bills and you don't have a veto-proof majority, two-thirds majority in both houses, then, you know, you, you're, what you can really do is very limited. So, uh, I, I mean, I think it's urgent that we take control of Congress away from the Democratic Party. We've seen what kind of damage they will do invariably when they're in control, but, uh, you know, it's not a magic
1: bullet. And I mean, I guess, um, you know, as we have just a little bit of time left in this segment, but it is, is the desire to completely destabilize mm-hmm. the entire grid, um, for, you know, and well, it a,
2: seems a, like it, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, I, I think we do make a mistake to just attribute all the damage they're doing to mere stupidity. Uh, I think some of it is active malice and, and bad intent. And and to you know to what extent it's one over the other, I'm not sure. But these people are not merely stupid.
1: Right. Now I think that energy has just become a very politicalized yeah. sub topic. And uh, it's it's the redheaded stepchild. Uh, in this administration so well david when we come back from break we're going to be joined by robert mcnally who is the president of rapidan energy group you're listening to in the Walpatch patch radio show and we'll be right back
3: And Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org.
0: Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy.
1: Now, David, it is time for us to welcome on our guest today, Bob McNally, who is the president of Rapidan Energy Group. Bob, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. You've been on uh, before, but it's been years back. We ran into you at Deloitte at one of their conferences. Uh, I believe you were on the stage as somewhat of a keynote speaker for them discussing a lot of different topics that seem back then so relevant even still to today but I want to give you an opportunity before we start uh, get, just getting into the questions for you tell us a little bit about what Rapid End Energy Group does and how specifically you know you your background uh, leads you into this leadership role with Rapidan Energy.
4: Great Kim and thank you and it's great to be with you again. Uh, time went by quickly but it seems like a lot has happened uh, over the, since we talked. So um, Rapid End Energy Group is a Washington DC energy consulting firm, and really what I've done with it is attempt to do for many clients in the oil industry, from the investment side to real oil companies, you know, physical producers and investors and traders, what I did for President Bush and Paul Tudor Jones when working for them before, and that is make sure they're not surprised by risks and uh, and also can take advantages of opportunities coming from where market fundamentals and policy and regulation and then geopolitics over overlap and intersect. And in energy, that's happening all the time as we see today. So that's what my firm does. We're about 20 people. We have six different services and a great set of eclectic group of clients and uh, have more have plenty of material to work with these days, I would say. We're we're very busy. You know, my my journey into energy was more uh, drift than mastery. I wanted to be a military history professor, but I didn't get rich in the Peace Corps. And so while in grad school, I got a job counting barrels for an oil consulting firm called Energy Security Analysis. And it occurred to me, this was during the first Gulf War, that oil had this really interesting political and geopolitical aspect to it, which made it kind of interesting among commodities, which frankly didn't interest me much, commodities in general. Anyway, I decided that that was a better place to raise a family and and pay for the mortgage and everything. So I ended up going into energy instead of history. Although my book, as you know, and we're kindly i um, so happy to promote it when it first came out, I think is when we talked, Crude Volatility, The History and Future of Boom-Bust Oil Prices. The book really is uh, a lot of history. And so, um, so I got to indulge really my history when I wrote the book. But uh, I worked at the hedge fund and then I went uh, into the White House and was proud to work uh, for President George W. Bush uh, from 2001 to 2003 as his top energy advisor on the National Security Council and National Economic Council from a pretty busy time. I call it Enron to Iraq. So uh, never a dull moment. And I had two jobs for the president there too, all energy all the time. And then I started my firm 13 years ago. So it's been a quick ride, but uh, enjoyable one. And uh, again, I'll just uh, conclude the the, uh, kind of the the background with uh, never a dull moment and plenty of material to work with.
1: I wouldn't agree with you more. Um, I think the show has been on the air for now seven years. It has definitely evolved. Um, But some of the things that you have been covering were specifically things pertaining to how uh, decisions that OPEC uh, has been making, how it has been affecting, uh, how it affects us here in the United States and kind of explaining that out, especially at Deloitte. David, I want to give you an opportunity to jump in here because there's been such volatility and I don't want to take too much of uh, Bob's time in, in covering the stuff we covered in the past. Let's talk about what's going on right now.
2: Well, I, yeah, I mean, Bob, it's a wonderful book, of course. I've, I've read it, and it's just a tremendous chock full of a very interesting history to anyone who's interested in the oil and gas business. Uh, but talk about OPEC and the OPEC Plus Agreement. You know, one one thing that's been a big player in, in the oil price picture, uh, what, since December 2016, I think. And it was initially pretty successful in meeting their goals of target prices, but it's all kind of fallen apart the last few years, hasn't it?
4: Well, it's been like a, a Netflix series, David. Yeah. It really has. <laughs> so, so the way I count sort of the eras here, you had the Texas Railroad Commission, which was by far the world's most effective swing producer. If you just look at how stable oil prices were, just right. big supply and demand imbalances. And then you had OPEC take over. Uh, but in o- OPEC, in my view, gave up in uh, 2008. They lost control the same way that TRC did uh, by, by running out of spare capacity in peacetime. Right. Now, the, price, the prices since then, if you just look at the price chart, we are still in a boom bust era, in my view. Uh, we are in shut-in to recession kind of levels of swings in prices. The amplitude here is, does not suggest a well-governed market at all. So in my view, we're still in boom bust. Now- in prior boom-bust eras, you will have temporary uh, swing producer groups come in, and most of them, most always, uh, they end up failing uh, because they don't have enough discipline internally and they can't control enough supply outside. Right. Now, to be fair to OPEC+, Plus, which got started in 2016, took two years for the Saudis to you know, drag the Russians kicking and screaming into this thing, but <laughs> in 2016, they, they, they did it, and um, uh, they had success in, in 2016, 2017, and they were doing okay until 2020 when COVID hit. And then they sort of flew apart spectacularly. And uh, we all saw that. I think we had negative $37 crude at one point in May of 2020. Right. And the Texas Railroad Commission had a hearing. I I presented at it where they were thinking about going back to quotas. So that's how right. bad that got. Right. So, and here we I are. I remember that debate, yeah. Yeah, we, we've seen now we're, sort of tightening up and um and where we've seen 135 dollars a barrel where right now i'm looking at my brent screen it looks like we're 119 as we speak yeah. today you're <laughs> listening to in <Indy laughs> the
0: radio show and we'll be right back Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Hey you! Do you want to
1: join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas?
0: Ma'am, I'm all for growing
1: my business, so you've got my attention. What is it? Teek is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free, no charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash and click on the Join link. Enter your information, and we'll get you set up.
3: Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website shalemag.com once again that's shale s-h-a-l-e mag m-a-g.com to learn more shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188 again 210-240-7188
1: And we're back. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Bob McNally, who is the president of Rapidan Energy Group. David, uh, Bob, before the break, David had asked you a question that led you into what OPEC right before COVID hit. And obviously, there was OPEC, then we graduated into OPEC Plus. And you were telling us a riveting story that what happened was COVID hit. So please <laughs> continue on with Where is COVID Plus, which is basically the Saudis and the Russians coming together to help stabilize oil prices.
4: Well, you know, nothing fixes the minds of producers and uh, Marshall's willingness for swing production and collaboration than a price bust. And so after those catastrophic price collapses in the second quarter of 2020, and with some help from President Donald Trump, who got involved, uh, they they got together. And if you want to say, they're maybe scared straight, right? So since then, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and UAE have been getting along very well. They implemented massive cuts, 9 million barrels a day of cuts in the middle of 2020. And fortunately, uh, the market for them, the market has been tightening. We've been climbing out. Now the job is easier. You know, when the market's sort of recovering and we were transitioning, as I think we were last fall, from a seven-year bust phase to a multi-year boom phase. And I did say that last fall. I told our clients, get ready. Since 2014, I've been saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Boom will follow his bus, but not yet. I was very sure as of last fall, 2021, we were starting to start, starting to enter the foothills of a multi-year boom phase. Now, those are a lot easier for OPEC Plus or the Texas Railroad Commission or OPEC or anybody else, because all you have to do is sit there and increase production, the prices still go up. And if you look at it today, there's got 23 members of OPEC Plus. Only three or four of them have any spare in the tank at all. And mainly it's Saudi Arabia and UAE. Russia's tapped out. So it's always easier for these groups when you're tightening as you are now. Now, looking forward, I know we're going to talk about oil prices and how OPEC plus ends up. Now, we have to separate. uh, Mr. Putin may have uh, ordered up a recession here for us, unfortunately, by throwing uh, the world's largest supply disruption in 50 years into a market that was already tightening. So we can talk about that in a second. But whether it's real quick or in the next coming years, we're going to boom. Oil prices are going to remain in the triple-digit region and rise until, unfortunately, they sort, of, they sort of start to hurt consumption. And in my view, OPEC plus will sort of lose control the same way its predecessors did. OPEC in 2008, the Railroad Commission, 1972. In all of those cases, what happens is a swing producer loses spare production capacity in peacetime. They can't keep up with demand. Because if you think about it, my last comment on this, when you've got too much oil and you're a swing producer, you at least have a choice you can make. I will cut or I will not cut, right? But when the market is tightening and you've thrown in every barrel you can, as just about every OPEC Plus producer has done by now, you don't have a choice. By definition, you're tapped out. And the market then has to balance through demand declines, which is an ugly way to balance the market. And unfortunately, it doesn't make me very popular, and get don't get invited to the party. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I know that's the how feeling. See yeah. this ending. <laughs> it, it,
1: it is a little, it's a little crazy. It's it's way crazy. Um, we're getting ready for break. When we come back, I think we want to start talking on the topic of the price where we were at thirty seven one day. And today we're at 120. You never, the change in, in this has, has come pretty quickly and it has a lot to do with the administration and, and, and what's going on globally. But we want to understand what your thoughts are since this is what you do for a living. David loves to always uh, take a guess on, you know, where places <laughs> prices are going. And by the way, David, you have done an amazing job in the last five, six years of guessing and you've pretty much been on target. Right. But now we want to get also your idea on where we're going and i do want to also talk about president biden and how he is blaming russia for these high energy prices this is putin's fault i want to get your opinion on that too however we're going to have to take a quick break you're listening to an oil patch radio show and we'll be right back
0: SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Steven Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals. Or dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662, or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today.
3: Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S H A L E, mag, M-A-G.com. Or you can call us 210 240 7188. Again, that's 210 240 7188.
1: back you're listening to on the oil patch radio show our guest today is bob mcnally who is the president of Rapidan energy group
2: you know uh there, there's a lot of speculation right now i saw an article this morning that a couple of the major investment banks have, have raised their target prices for crude oil for the rest of the year i wonder what you see I, you know i mean we we have predictions all over the board some are predicting as high as 150 dollars oil by the end of this year i wonder what you see just over the next several months as this thing continues to play out
4: yeah so uh, our firm we are bullish near term Uh, we think the unfortunate math uh, right now requires that prices continue rising until they reach what we call macroeconomic burden levels meaning the consumer starts to tap out so i can't i can't take it anymore and you start to see material deceleration in growth and if we have to have a recession Uh, than than real absolute declines. So we're just marching to that level. So then you ask, okay, well, where is that level? Now, when we modeled this late last year, uh, when you model something, you kind of assume rosy scenario, right? You never, you know, it's a 10-year model Mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. And we figured it's about $150 Brent, just so happens. But you know what? That was when we were assuming, let's say a normal, a, a healthy refining sector. So if you think about product cracks or spreads on top of that, you know at the wholesale level, maybe a $15 product crack, and then from there you build your retail prices that everyone pays. Well, as we sit here today, we may only be at 120 or so dollar Brent, but we're sitting here at $60 cracks because we can talk about this more if you like. We have a refining problem right now. Yeah, we do. Yeah, uh, you know, we have a refining problem. And so, and so when you start to add that to crude and then tack on your retail this and your tax that. I mean, the American consumer right now is seeing over $200 a barrel gasoline at the pump. It's now,
1: at, it, It's everywhere, Bob, in everything that they're facing. And I think that they're pretty fed up with the current
4: situation. Yeah, and yeah. I don't
1: think they have a whole lot more that they can endure.
4: Well, and that's it. You know what, though? You t- forecasting is hard enough in normal times, but, <laughs> but we're trying to forecast the level. So you're asking me, we right now at RapidN, we're telling our clients oh, we're going to rise to, we think, $117. Average in the third quarter. Now, I always ask myself, okay, you know, every any forecast is wrong because no one can forecast. This right Where's your skew? Where, where, if you're wrong, higher or lower. If I'm wrong, it's higher. If anything, we're going to be revising our forecast up. But when we take a 117 dollar, now that's a quarterly average. So that means on a daily level, we'll see 120s. We'll see maybe even 130s. But we think if you get to 117, 120 dollar Brent, with a 40, 50, or 60 dollar crack spread. With the central banks raising rates, uh, with the inflation risks already in the economy, I mean, we're getting close to the level where, let me just put it this way, if I were betting uh, on it, I I wouldn't, the risk of being long at that point uh, seems to be uh, getting poor. So, uh, and and as we saw in 2008, those of us old enough to remember 2008 should really be haunted by this. When that economy collapses underneath you, the price will fall like a rock. Remember that? 142? in early july and we were like at thirty dollars thirty five dollars by the end of the year and that was with opec cutting and it still fell that far so we are on thin ice and you do not want to be in the middle of the lake when the ice ice starts to crack so
1: 120
4: brent i think is probably where we, we we would say you know you're going to tap out
1: well let me ask you you know we're talking about the consumer's patience and what they're enduring president biden has been blaming russia for the high oil prices and of course, that also leads to high uh, gasoline prices at the pump. How reasonable is that argument that Biden is making, as far as is this really Russia's fault? Whose fault is it of what we're enduring, or is it a, a, a whole bunch of things coming together that's causing this problem?
4: Yeah, he's he's about about a third right, or <laughs> a third to a half right. Right. Uh, when he took office, crude was about forty dollars a barrel. Um, you know, now it's one hundred and twenty dollars a barrel, almost three times higher you know, when Putin started this all up and we're in the 80s and 90s and so forth. So there's no question that Putin's invasion and, uh, and the subsequent sanctions, um, and self sanctioning on what is the world's largest exporter, not the largest producer, but the largest exporter of crude and products is Russia. And, uh, and so there's no question that in an already tightening market, that incremental supply loss has added to the risk premium added to the price of crude oil. No, no question. However, uh, we were uh, tight and, and high in prices oh, just before February 24th as well. Why? Because demand was barreling out of, uh, out of COVID, and we had savaged investment in this country for seven years. That's what you do in a bust. You know? you, we, investment, upstream investment had collapsed, uh, and also OPEC Plus was increasing production, um, but it was unable to match its quota increases in the real world because, as we discussed earlier, just about every country is now tapped out. So OPEC was sort of doing it slowly. Uh, the rest of the world production base had been ravaged and was quite slow. Shale was only starting to gear up. For, we're gonna have a good year this year, but it's only starting to gear up. And uh, you had the market, yet inventories normalize and start to get tight. And then uh, and then, pre- and then President Putin sort of threw the, threw the grenade into the party here. So, um, so you know, the, the, look, the president was begging China of all things. I mean, last November, to join with the united states and a few other countries to spill the spr i mean he was right. so desperate i mean he had a problem in november putin didn't attack till february so he knew he had a problem he had a problem well before president putin uh his invasion it has added to it but it's by no means the the even the largest um, factor here
1: bob sure. it, it more david i'll give you the floor so we come back from break but i just have a question for bob i know you are an analyst so you probably don't like to to, to really talk in hypotheticals but is a lot of the policies that Biden is is currently doing and what he's triggering, is this unintentional or is it intentional? And if it's intentional in your belief, in what ways? It might be for a good outcome, that he believes. I'm not trying to insinuate he's doing anything nefarious here. I'm just wondering, what is your thoughts on how much of this is he aware that he's causing this and is it intentional?
4: Well, so... The president is doing everything intentionally, from canceling Keystone to attempting to uh, basically cancel future permitting. Although the courts wouldn't let him do that for upstream projects on federal lands, uh, and even now, as he's running around looking under every rock for every barrel he can find, asking the Chinese to help, looking right at here, they are, asking refiners <laughs> if they can. But not, to be fair, almost every any president would do that. They're terrified. Nothing is more terrifying than what we see now. The oil oil prices are just terrifying for an elected official. But the thing that's different is, you know, back in Obama-Biden, to give them credit, when they spoke about all of the above at $100 barrel oil, they understood we had a multi-year decade process here. This wasn't about what can I squeeze out in two months before the midterms? And if you can't help me in two months with a barrel in the midterms, I'm still, I'm done with you. I'm still with my sort of decarbonization agenda. So his long-term policy of putting oil and gas out of business, I don't think has really changed. He hasn't really gone back to a long-term in the oil business long-term all of the above and therefore the policies are very intentional but they're not having much effect
1: we're going to take a quick break thank you for saying that when we get back i want to talk a little bit about opec and esg you're listening to on the OPEC radio show we'll be right back
3: the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org.
1: You're listening to on the old patch radio show. My co-host, David Blackman, and myself, Kim Blotto, are interviewing Bob McNally, the president of RapidAN Energy Group.
2: Hey, Bob. Uh, one last question on OPEC+. Plus. Uh, last week, they uh, announced that, you know, a big new increase in daily volume deliveries uh, for next month. And, you know, over and above, they're already planned to increase, I think, 200 and some odd barrels a day additional. But do they really even have the capacity to do that? They've undershot... Those commitments for a year now, right? Every month, do they really even have the capacity to meet those commitments now?
4: Uh, David, no, they don't. So they're lucky if they can eke out half of what they've been announcing yeah. as a quota increases, and that's just because most of the other producers are tapped out. So last week they agreed to, to accelerate by one month this sort of termination of the existing tapering or increases. After that, they'll probably set quotas through the end of the year. But you know, you, as you say. Instead of a 200,000 barrels a day and change, they're gonna do 300,000 barrels a day and change with only UAE, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Iraq able to do anything at all. So it's a pretty pretty much a gesture. And if you look how prices responded, it didn't take long for them to rise right after that information came out.
1: Yeah. Let's switch, let's switch gears, Bob, and talk about ESG because that is the huge buzzword. Everybody is moving towards it. Even even you see it outside the oil and gas sector with a lot of companies announcing that they're gonna go carbon uh, neutral, net zero. But in the oil and gas sector, ESG has become a very important thing for investors to see companies moving in the right direction. Are there main drivers that uh, are under investments in the new exploration efforts that you see coming forward since 2015?
4: No question. You know, when I look at the question of how ESG is impacting the oil sector and even the world economy this decade, by far the most important aspect of it is how it has changed the way forecasters, leading consensus forming government agencies like the IEA, how they shape uh, consensus views of the oil market. And I think one of the most important things that's happened, and this is entirely due to ESG pressure on the IEA, was forced them after 2019 to begin assuming that oil demand would start to slow down this decade right. and peak by 2030. You know the joke about the economists in a hole. how do economists get themselves out of a hole? <laughs> to a ladder, right? Okay, and so, so, and this is really serious, though. This—it's one thing to have irrational ideas about the speed of an energy transition. It's one thing to promise your voters or your investors this or that by 2030, even if it's ludicrous and completely nonsensical. But when the IEA uh, starts telling the world that oil demand is about to de- de- collapse, demand growth colla- collapse this decade in transportation because consumers are flocking to fuel-efficient cars and EVs fast enough so that demand peaks around 20, 30, 35. Therefore, we don't need new investment in oil fields. That has been the <laughs> message of 2020. I mean, when you tell the world that, I mean, it's not just the oil sector, it's your airline companies, it's your shipping companies, it's your automaker companies, it's everybody on the planet who's looking for guidance on the oil market. And they have been told for the last couple of years because of ESG pressure, that it's not only not only should we not uh, consume this as, as because it's bad for the planet, but we won't as our base forecast. Well, I'll tell you what. The next big surprise, quote unquote, surprise in the oil market, is that the world is going to be a lot thirstier for gasoline and diesel this decade uh, than the IEA is telling folks and that any, I think, reasonable forecast would project. And arm- it's not that the ESG isn't there. It's not that EVs aren't coming. Those things are real and they're coming, but not no. that fast. The International Energy Agency, right? Sorry. It's an
2: arm of the UN, yeah.
4: Well, we, it's we uh, have- OECD. It's OECD company. Right, OECD. It formed yes. in the 1970s. Uh, in response to the Arab oil embargo. They're supposed to manage the reserves and manage security, but they also produce data and analysis that we all use. They are the thought leaders in the global oil market. And uh, and I think many energy analysts like me are very concerned that they have sort of bought into wishful thinking. It's mm-hmm. one thing to have a green scenario. It's another thing to tell the world we're heading definitely towards a green scenario and you don't need to invest in oil and gas. That is going to be a mistake for which consumers and governments are going to pay. I, I
1: think the planet is really... Uh really in for a surprise, and I don't think it's going to be a good one. And and just covering also because our show is syndicated, so it's going to a lot of different stations. People listen, trying to understand a little bit more about energy. Maybe they don't quite understand the whole ESG, the meaning of it and the purpose of it and how it's taken off outside of oil and gas, because it's going to have greater implications for them. Cover that real quick, your interpretation.
4: Um, Well, so ESG, I think, is linked to this idea of stakeholder capitalism, and that is that corporations, uh, investors, Ought to uh, plan and invest and operate in ways that are positive for, as some folks conceive of, the environment, uh, social uh, questions, and and governance. And it has to do with everything, uh, you know, sexual orientation to uh, to climate sustainability and 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 how you treat workers and so forth. It's a set of values uh, that um, aren't being necessarily legislated in countries, but they are being sort of um, encouraged uh, upon. For private companies and, and, and investors to adopt them and to change their businesses accordingly. So it's not just about PL and return on capital. Now it's about uh, these other factors. So that's really how it uh, how it is affecting it. And that's how I understand it anyway.
2: Well, it's- Bob, it's, it's so interesting to me that while the IEA has become so politicized in this regard, at the same time, the Energy Information Administration here in the US hasn't, right? I mean, they s- seem to have remained pretty uh, even-handed they have you know
4: they, they have in their tone they don't uh yeah they, they certainly yeah. are much more even headed however and, and i love the eia and they have a great new administrator uh but um the eia has been forecasting since 2008 that gasoline in this country is about to peak and collapse <laughs> <Right>. they <laughs> still are now you saying what are you doing and you know not to the talk about it. Are we are going to drive <laughs> No, they have. You go back and look at their. We do as every single year. Now they revise up, but every single year it's about a peak and collapse. And you ask why? Well, the fuel economy standards and electric vehicles, mainly fuel economy standards. I say there's been no improvement in fuel economy in the United States since 2014. We have all right. data. Mm-hmm. But you know what? To be fair, now these folks are government officials, and government officials aren't supposed to forecast that policies on the books will fail. So
1: right, <laughs> perfect sense, Bob. Let's talk a little bit about the the book you're working on. Um, first of all, when we met. Deloitte you had just finished your book are you working on a new book what are you up to what can we expect from you here in the near future
4: well no new book and I tell folks I'd like to see how OPEC plus turns out we talked earlier about my expectation I believe they will go the way of the Texas Railroad Commission and OPEC eventually but I'd like to see if I'm right and if I am then I think maybe in a few years I'm due to update um, uh, crude volatility because that book came out just as OPEC plus was formed so the question is are they going to be the new long-term swing producer or are they just one of these temporary ones that to me is a question i'd like to see answered other than that you know and this is a much broader topic I, i've long over the past few decades had uh, a sort of a cyclical view of our country's history and i've always believed this decade was going to be unusually tumultuous and pivotal and uh, this is right do, yeah and this has to do with more macroeconomic and political and even budgetary issues beyond energy and uh, at some point i'm going to i have brief clients about this but at some point i'm going to turn that into a book too
1: Excellent. Well, fantastic. I'm glad you came back and joined us on the show. Um, Keep up the good work and we look forward to having you back on the show here soon. Um, If somebody wants your book or or wants to get in contact with you, is there a website they can get a hold of you?
4: You bet. And thanks so much, David and Kim. really appreciate you having me on. Uh, so uh, rapidanenergy.com, R-A-P-I-D-A-N, energy, all one work, rapidanenergy.com. You can get to me through there and then you know Amazon uh, for the book and uh, operators are standing by. So really appreciate it.
1: Well, we do thank you. And if there is one thing I can say, you are probably one of the most smartest and informative Uh, individuals we've had on the show when we talk about energy what you're saying is really happening and transforming so we look forward to having you back on the show here soon thank you once again for joining us on an adult catch radio show Thank
3: you so much. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.